From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house ready to take your questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271. Two seven one two nine eight five, and um, you can always send us an email. That email address is open line, all one word, open line at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And, uh, our host, as he is every Tuesday, the increasingly prolific Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Thank you very much. And I want to I want to te- I want to tease next week's show. Okay, I great. Be sure to ch- tune in next week because Father Wade is going to talk about this book that one of his confreres wrote for him. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> this I'm holding it up right now. I'm holding it up right now, too, but they can't see me. Okay. Uh, Catholic Essentials, A Guide to Understanding Key Church Teachings by Father Wade Menezes, and he's going to talk and pontificate and make you just wish you had a copy of it in your hand as we speak. And uh, and if you'd actually like to make that happen, you can go to EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com, and it That's is right. available as of today. That is exactly uh, so, right. Today's the official rollout day. So but we're going to talk about, about it in particular next week. Yep, that'll this be the week, springboard. This week, you know, Father, some people just get lumped into categories, and it's hard to separate them. Uh, Martin and Lewis come to mind, Abbott and Costello, uh, Fred, <laughs> Astaire, Laurel and Hardy. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, uh, and, and poor old St. Peter and St. Paul just can't get separated, can they? They can, but boy, is it a great tag team, let me tell you. St. <laughs> Peter the head of the apostles, and St. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles. We celebrate their solemnity tomorrow on June 29th, June 29th of every year on the Church's liturgical calendar. They have been remembered together on this date since ancient times, Jack. Peter started life as Simon, a fisherman who worked alongside his brother Andrew. Jesus changed Peter's name to Kephas, in Greek Petros, meaning rock. Thus, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall never prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. St. Paul had been Saul, a Pharisee and a proud persecutor of Christians, but after an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he gave his life to preaching the gospel throughout Asia Minor. Tradition holds that both men were martyred together in Rome. Again, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. The church is founded on the apostles. 
especially on St. Peter, the first pope, and on St. Paul, an apostle, and the first Christian missionary, Ephesians 2.20 and Revelation 21.14. Therefore, today's solemn feast day, or tomorrow's solemn feast day, excuse me, of Saints Peter and Paul is a celebration in which we thank the Lord for his great gift to us of the church itself, the organized physical body of the church, which is his bride. The church is the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, and the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, and Revelation 22, 17. The church was founded by Jesus himself. It belongs to Jesus himself and is in the process of being built up by Jesus himself. How about that? Again, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus calls the church, my church, in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus has given to Peter his successors and the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 16, 19. Whatever you hold bound on earth shall be held bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we have the great apostolic foundations in the Gospel of Matthew with this scene. This is why St. Paul calls the church God's household and the pillar and bulwark of truth, to quote 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is also the fullness of him who fills the universe in all its parts, Ephesians 1.23 tells us. So it is then that Jesus exalts the church by identifying with her. That's very important there. Jesus exalts Holy Mother Church by identifying with her. He proclaims that if we listen to the church, we listen to him, Luke 10.16. And conversely, he proclaims that if we persecute the church, we persecute him, Acts 9.4. Considering what the Lord Jesus has revealed to us about his bride, the church, we must love the church just as Jesus does and lay down our lives for her as St. Peter and St. Paul did, Ephesians 5.25. And so again, tomorrow we celebrate the church's universal calendar day of the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, apostles. These two especially important apostles, Jack, as their respective missions Uh, indicate, were all-encompassing of every people for all time, Jews and Gentiles alike. St. Peter is known as the apostle to the Jews, and St. Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Apostle, from the Greek word apostolos, Latin apostolus, uh, means messenger or envoy. In the context, in other words, to send away from to another place, precisely to deliver a great message. That's what apostolos or apostolus in the Greek and Latin respectively mean. St. Augustine, from a, a famous discourse of his on the Psalms, he says this, quote, The true peacemaker, Jesus Christ, brought together in himself two walls coming from different angles, and himself became the cornerstone. One wall was formed of the circumcised believers, that is, the Jews, and the other of the uncircumcised Gentiles who had faith, that is, the Gentiles themselves, the non-Jewish people. And of these two peoples, he made one church with himself as the cornerstone and therefore the true peacemaker. So a nice visual image there huh, of two walls coming from different angles, meeting at Christ, who is the cornerstone, the capstone. St. Augustine goes on, he says, both of these apostles, Peter and Paul, share the same feast day, for these two were one, and even though they suffered on different days in martyrdom, they were still as one. Peter went first, and Paul followed, and so we celebrate this day made holy for us by the apostles, 
and by their blood. Let us embrace what they believed, their life, their labors, their sufferings, their preaching, and most of all, their confession of faith. End quote. Again, words from St. Augustine on the importance of celebrating these two great apostles. So we see even an early church father from uh, the 5th century uh, already admitting that we're celebrating this great feast day, honoring simultaneously these two great apostles. So the continuity of Holy Mother Church, huh? The fact that Peter and Paul's missions were all-encompassing of every people and every land and every nation serves as a wonderful springboard to look at the, at the so-called four marks of the church, and I want to wrap up this springboard today uh, with, with this point. It was Saints Peter and Paul who reconciled the Jewish and Gentile Christians into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's what we mean by the four marks of the church, words from the Nicene Creed in 325 AD. Huh? Uh, in the doctrine concerning that she is one, the church teaches that she acknowledges one Lord, confesses one faith, is born of one baptism, and forms one universal body. She is given life by the one spirit for the sake of one hope, at whose fulfillment all divisions will be overcome. In the doctrine concerning she is holy, she is holy in the fact that the most triune Godhead is her divine author. And in her third mark, the church teaches that the word Catholic simply means universal. In her Catholicity, her, universal, her universality, the church proclaims the fullness of the faith. Huh? She bears in herself and administers the totality of the means of salvation. She is sent out to all peoples. She encompasses all times, and she is universally missionary of her very nature. And the fact that she is apostolic, she is built on a lasting foundation. The twelve apostles of the Lamb, as the book of Revelation intimates so strongly, she is therefore indestructible. We know that the twelve apostles of the Lamb, the twelve foundation stones, still exist at the end of time. In the book of Revelation, the church is sent out to all peoples while at the same time is upheld infallibly in the truth. Christ governs her through Peter and the other apostles who are present in their successors, the Pope and the College of Bishops. And to proclaim the faith and to plant his reign, Jesus Christ sends his apostles and their successors into the world to teach, govern, and sanctify and to make judgments and pronouncements in his name. So let us celebrate with great solemnity tomorrow on June 29th, the great solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. I'm encouraging you to visit EWTN's website dedicated to Mother Angelica, where you can celebrate her remarkable life. It's filled with photos, milestones, heartfelt stories, and her wit and words that have inspired the hearts of all ages throughout the years. Simply visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica today. EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. It will build you up and give you hope 
and strengthen your faith going forward. I make it a point myself to read Mother Angelica's biography, written by Raymond Arroyo, at least once a year to keep me inspired and focused Mm -hmm. and uh, like Flint on the mission here at EWTN, and I would encourage you to visit the website and you will be edified as well. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-EWTN. Three nine eight six. You know, I kind of joked a little bit about people that are that are inseparable, and the truth of the matter is, with regard to to Saint Paul and to Saint Peter, you know, they are uh, eternally linked together, and not just by this feast, but uh, but by circumstance as well, historical circumstance as well. But they stand alone. Uh, they they're they're eternally linked, yet they both stand alone by themselves at the same time. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Each one has his own uh, special spotlight, we could say, again, uh, to the Jews and the Gentiles, where each one went on his missionary activity. Uh, but they, they come together in, in the reality of the teaching of the four marks of the Church. And uh, I want to go back a little bit and talk about uh, the second mark, traditionally listed as holy, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church is holy also in the fact, we said just before the break, that she is holy in the fact that her most holy triune God is her divine author, right? Uh, But she is also holy in the fact that Christ is her bridegroom and that he gave himself up to make her holy. Uh, She is holy in that the spirit of holiness gives her life, especially through the sacraments. And she is indefectibly holy in that she cannot sin or err, although her members can. Okay, let's let's make that straight there. Let's make that clear. She is indefectibly holy in that she cannot sin or err in regards to faith or morals, although her members can. And since she still includes sinners, she is nevertheless the sinless one made up of sinners, the Catechism tells us. Also, the Church's holiness, Jack, shines in the saints, the Church triumphant. In the Blessed Virgin Mary, she is already all holy. Both Mary and the Church are referred to as virgin, bride, and mother in the life of the Church. And also, in the pursuit of holiness of the members of her Church militant still living on earth, and also in the purification process of the members of her church suffering, the holy souls in purgatory, also known as members of the church penitent. We see the holiness of the church in this three-tiered hierarchy known as the doctrine of the communion of saints, members of the church triumphant in heaven, members of the church militant still fighting the good fight on earth, and members of the church suffering, also known as the members of the church penitent in purgatory. And in regards to her Catholicity, we said just before the break, that uh, she is sent to all peoples, she speaks to all men, she encompasses all times, and she is universally missionary of her very nature. In her Catholicity, her fullness, she proclaims the fullness of the faith. She proclaims the fullness of the truth. She bears in herself and administers the totality of the means of salvation through the three-legged stool of sacred scriptures, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, and also all thus, then, that is uh, safeguarded by the sacred deposit of faith. I want to give a great quote by St. Irenaeus, whom we celebrate today on the 28th of June, the day before the great solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, Today's saint, St. Irenaeus, says in regards to the Catholicity of the Church uh, and, and her oneness, he says this, Indeed, the Church, though scattered throughout the whole world, even to the ends of the earth, having received the faith from the apostles and their disciples, guards this preaching and this faith with the greatest care as dwelling in but a single house 
and similarly believes as if having but one soul and a single heart, and preaches and teaches and hands on this faith with a unanimous voice, as if possessing only one mouth. How awesome is that? And then he continues, St. Irenaeus, he says, For though languages differ throughout the world, the content of the faith and tradition is one and the same. The churches established in Germany have no other faith or tradition, nor do those of the Iberians, nor those of the Celts, nor those of the East, or of Egypt, or Libya, nor those established at the center of the world. The church's message is true and solid, in which one and the same way of salvation appears throughout the entire and whole world. That's just a phenomenal quote from a church father already in the earliest centuries of the church, talking about, quote, the whole world and mentioning all the various regions and their languages, saying that the one faith and the one tradition of what? Of the apostles handed down, okay? The written and the oral. Um, is so prominent already in Irenaeus's time, and that's that's pretty darn awesome. I like to say. And he ought to know. He was. And a, he ought to know. He's he, he's he's he, one of the early birds. He of was the a early, disciple of, of a disciple of Saint John. That's right, of Polycarp. Yeah. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. By the way, Jack, do you know who Saint Polycarp is the patron saint of? Uh, bony fishes. No, you try this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be comical here. I'm being very sincere. Whenever you need a parking space, oh. you pray a prayer, however short but from the heart, to St. Polycarp, and you will find a parking place. I don't care if it's the mall, a good restaurant, uh, the church, you're running late at Mass, <laughs> and you need a parking spot. Now, why is that the case? Why is he the patron saint of those looking for a parking space? I haven't the faintest idea. All I can think of is that with a name like Polycarp, he probably doesn't get called on for much else. Well, I said that one time at a parish mission, and a husband and wife approached me after the mission. They says, no, Father Wade, no. We would know why he's the patron saint of those looking for a, a parking space and, and helps them every time. And I responded to them, well, well, why is that? And they said, well, poly means many. Car is in reference to the automobile. And the P is, for is in regards to parking. <laughs> okay. So many car parking spaces. There you there have you it. And, by the way, I'm being sincere. I'm not trying to make light of this. Yeah. He pulls in for me every single time, pardon the pun, every single time he pulls in for me for, with, a, with a parking space. And the other great person that in my life that can attest to this is my sister Susie. She will tell you that Polycarp helps her every single time. I believe that I wouldn't. I'm not familiar with it because I, out of an act of charity, I try to park as far away from the building as I can. There but, you uh, go. Get, get your <laughs> hey, get your steps in for the day, right? That's right. I do. I do kind of have a. I've long had a personal philosophy that if you just find a spot, park, and walk in, you're going to save yourself time in the long run than doing laps around the parking lot looking for the there you perfect, go. There you go for the perfect spot. We still have wide open phone lines. Pick up the phone. Matt Kubensky is dozing off on us right now. Give him a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, Father, we've got, we're kind of afforded a unique little opportunity to have just a couple minutes here uh, to, to be able to speak. We haven't talked to you uh, since the Dobbs case was ruled on by the Supreme Court of the United States. 
and uh, I know you have been a a, a vociferous pro life champion uh, all the time that I've known you. And uh, while this doesn't solve all of our problems, uh, it's an acknowledgement in the right direction. It certainly is. And a beautiful summation of that fact, of that truth, what you just said, Jack, is uh, seen in the statement given by the USCCB uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson. And the statement says this, quote, this is a historic day in the life of our country, one that stirs our thoughts, emotions, and prayers. For nearly 50 years, America has enforced an unjust law that has permitted some to decide whether others can live or die. This policy has resulted in the deaths of tens of millions of preborn children, generations that were denied the right to even be born. America was founded on the truth that all men and women are created equal with God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This truth was grievously denied by the U.S. Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade ruling, which legalized and normalized the taking of innocent human life. We thank God today that the court has now overturned this decision. We pray that our elected officials will now enact laws and policies that promote and protect the most vulnerable among us. Our first thoughts, the document states, or the statement continues from our United States Conference of Bishops, our first thoughts are with the little ones whose lives have been taken since 1973's Roe decision. We mourn their loss, and we entrust their souls to God, who loved them from before all ages, and who will love them for all eternity. Our hearts are also with every woman and man who has suffered grievously from abortion. We pray for their healing, and we pledge our continued compassion and support. As a church, we need to serve those who face difficult pregnancies and surround them with love. Today's decision is also the fruit of the prayers, sacrifices, and advocacy of countless ordinary Americans from every walk of life. Over these long years, millions of our fellow citizens have worked together peacefully to educate and persuade their neighbors about the injustice of abortion, to offer care and counseling to women, and to work for alternatives to abortion, including adoption, foster care, and public policies that truly support families. We share their joy today, and we are grateful to them. Their work for the cause of life reflects all that is good in our democracy, and the pro-life movement deserves to be numbered among the great movements for social change and civil rights in our nation's history. Now is the time to begin the work of building a post-Roe America. It is a time for healing wounds and repairing social divisions. It is a time for reasoned reflection and civil dialogue, and for coming together to build a society and economy that supports marriages and families, and where every woman has the support and resources she needs to bring her child into this world in love. As religious leaders, we pledge ourselves to continue our service to God's great plan of love for the human person and to work with our fellow citizens to fulfill America's promise to guarantee the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all people. So there you have it, the USCCB statement on the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson. You could find that at the homepage 
at usccb.org slash news. usccb.org slash news. And you know, Jack, I just want to wrap that statement up by uh, stating this, you know, <laughs> call it, call it a, a, a Catholic's uh, intuition to, to notice this or what, but, but let me tell you this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we come right back from our half-hour half break. It, the break will not be a half hour. It's a <laughs> our break. The, the, at break the, half hour. the break will only be a couple minutes. So hang in there. We'll talk to Carly in just a minute. Steve in California and Nancy in St. Louis. Call us back. I want to hear your prayer. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN. It's open line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. And you know, Father Wade, they're building a brand new one halfway between us and you. Yes, I do know that in uh, in Huntsville, (laughs) Alabama. That's right. 833-288-3986. To the phones we go. Carly is first up in Houston, Texas, listening at EWTN.com. And Father Wade, we'll get to what you wanted to talk about in one second here. Carly, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. I have a question. Let me see if I can get this through clearly. In light of the Roe v. Wade decision, um, I've been kind of caught up short by some uh, close, near family members, I guess, who are extremely hostile to that, and by extension hostile to me. Um, my daughter's sister-in-law, who is one of my grandson's godmother, you know, uh, um, and I helped prepare her for that role in a catechesis class, it, uh, told me uh, via social media to stop shoving my religion down her throat and that she can be uh, pro-abortion if she wants to be. How do I deal with this person going forward? Do I just cut off the communication or, I mean, she's going to be in my home again at some point, but I don't know if I want her here. What do I do? (laughs) Yeah, you you said that happened in a a social media exchange when she said that to you, you know, the the toxicity of it all, huh? It's a beautiful invention, but it can surely be toxic. Uh, When it comes to... to what are seemingly contentious debates, which abortion is in the United States. There, there's no denying that. Uh, you got strong people on both sides, and, and they're, they're holding to their position very strongly. Uh, I, I would say try to do it the best you can, and only in person. Uh, and and leave leave the um, impressionable memes and the wonderful quotes uh, to social media, and let them speak volumes when you post them at your Facebook page or at your Instagram page. Let them let those those inspirational memes and quotes from the saints and and or or even people today still living who are pro life. Uh, like like Abby Johnson, you can find a series of great quotes from her online. She was the Planned Parenthood uh, director who converted and and the the 2019 movie Unplanned, which is available from Ignatius Press, uh, is about her conversion story. You know, s- memes and quotes. P- put that stuff on your pages, your social media pages. Let that speak for you, and let let the person know th- that you would love to talk to them in person because you're going to be able to make more strides that way than in the in the quickness and the fastness and the talk of how it can turn so quickly into a negative of social media. Uh, The second point is this, uh, Carly. uh, Understand from the get-go, you are not their savior. You are their evangelizer. You are their prayer warrior. But you are not their savior. Jesus Christ is their savior. 
And all you can do is, and try to do is plant a seed, okay? But you'll know when the, family ga- the next family gathering, you'll know how to, 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 to meet them where they're at, understanding that they're not there at the pro-life position, but yet you want to meet them where they're at because that's the example that Christ always gave us. Not, not that he gave into sin. He never gave into sin. But he was always willing to meet the person right where they're at, like the woman at the well. Uh, the, the, the adulterous woman uh, that was brought to him uh, by the men who wanted to stone her. Uh, he, both women, and th- that's just one example. Uh, the, the rich young man, what must I do to gain eternal life? With all of these individuals, male and female, Christ was right there to meet them where they're at, and the evangeliz- evangelization came a, a post factum, uh, after the fact, Okay. That's how you want to mold your approach to pro-life arguments with, is look to Christ. You're a member of his body, the head. Also, pray to the individual's guardian angel. Uh, fast for them. Pray for them before the next family gathering. And, and, and give this, this situation, this interaction to Almighty God, the Blessed Trinity. I've always said, you involve the Blessed Trinity, the three divine persons, in your personal life, with deliberate, willful intent on a daily basis, Carly, you can accomplish more by accident than what you set out to do on purpose. And I'm, I'm a living example of that because I, I've experienced the Trinitarian love in my own life so much in situations like that uh, when I'm preaching on the road, whether it's a week-long parish mission, a day-long retreat, a weekend conference, whatever. Uh, but you, you got to be willing to do the model that Christ gave us, and that is to meet them where they're at. Cardi, thank you so much for a, a great question. Jack, I, I, I want to say this, too. Um, you know, I, I said just before the break, uh, call it a Catholic's intuition or whatever, but, you know, the liturgical year means something for us, right? I, I want to stress that point first before I say what I'm about to say. The liturgical year means something. Uh, our entire lives, our work, our prayer, our recreation, our marriages, our singlehood, our consecrated life, our diocesan priesthood life, uh, our widowhood, whatever our vocation state in life revolves around the entire liturgical year, you know, Advent, Christmas, Christmas tide, ordinary time, Lent, Easter, Easter tide, ordinary time, and then back into Advent, which begins a new liturgical year. Listen to this. Um, the week that Roe v. Wade was overturned, which was on the literal day of Friday, June 24th, 2022, that previous Sunday, June 19th, was the Solemnity of Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which honors in a special way his taking on sacred humanity, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, the four elements of the Eucharist, right? He took on sacred humanity for us. In his second divine personage, he became man. Now, uh, the day before the ruling, Thursday, June 23rd, was the Solemnity of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, transferred from June 24th, which is when it's usually held. But because Friday, June 24th, the day of the ruling itself, was the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, which also celebrates his sacred humanity in a special way, And the day after the ruling, Saturday, June 25th, was the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. These are just tremendous feasts and solemnities honoring the sacred humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even the the woman whose womb bore him into the world, the second person of the Trinity, who bore his sacred humanity in his one divine personage into the world through the sacred incarnation, which we celebrate on March 25th, nine months to the day before December 25th. This is not by accident. This is, this is God's design, huh? 
And so, you know, even even the the fact that uh, upon Mary's enter, uh, entering Elizabeth's home, uh, John the Baptist sleeps in his mother's wombs, uh, you know, Elizabeth's womb. And so we celebrate celebrated John the Baptist's nativity on the 23rd this year instead of the 24th, because again, the 24th Friday was the solemnity this year of the Sacred Heart. And it's not very often that Holy Mother Church has two solemnities side by side. So with Corpus Christi, with the nativity of John the Baptist, with the, the, the solemnity of the Sacred Heart, and then with the memorial of the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the Mother of God, as St. Irenaeus and St. Cyril of Alexandria teach so beautifully, uh, yesterday's saint and today's saint, um, on, on June 27th and 28th, respectively, uh, Cyril of Alexandria and Irenaeus. We have these beautiful feast days wherein the, the, this was overruled. For me personally, and I don't even think I'm saying this as a priest, I, I'm, I'm saying this merely as a man with faith, if this isn't all an example of God trying to get the attention of his people, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Father Wade. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Steve is in the great state of California watching us on YouTube today. Steve, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, gentlemen, just want to give you a big attaboy for this program. Uh, a longtime Protestant who's been drawn towards the Church, Catholic Church, because, exactly because of what you're teaching today uh, on the life issues. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you and God bless you for that. i longtime donator, longtime viewer, uh, mother, and uh, getting very close to getting towards the Church. I just wanted to say thank you for your stand, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much, Steve. God bless you, and uh, may God continue to guide you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in your journey towards examining the Church more, and uh, may you be richly blessed um, in your visit with your local pastor and director of religious ed, who would head up the, the RCIA uh, courses there at the parish, Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Contact your parish, and, and may you truly, truly be fed with your one holy Catholic and apostolic faith that you're feeling called to possibly join. Thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate your comment. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Uh, Blanca is in Jefferson City, Missouri today, and she is listening to EWTN Radio on Covenant Radio. Uh, Blanca, you're on with Father Wade. Father Venice, you are so good. You have no idea how the Lord has blessed you. I love listening to the, the explanation of the Word of God through you. But I have a question. I have a strong relationship with Jesus, and I read the Bible very carefully. I love reading the Bible. And Paul said, I think in Timothy or Galatians, something says, only the blood of Jesus can heal, can save us. There is nothing else. So I just do not believe in purgatory. Jesus did all. We cannot do anything. Uh, Paul says that God looks at us from above, and he looks at us as sinners, all of us. And there is nothing we can do to be saved. They call the Catholic Church a cult because it is not too clear the salvation because of the purgatory. Can you talk about it? I will hang up and listen to you. 
Sure, Blanca. Thank you so much. You know, uh, interestingly, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Universal Catechism, does not even refer to purgatory uh, as, as a place, but actually a process. Now, you can also hold it's a place where that process takes place. Uh, number 1031 of the Catechism says, the Church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. All the souls that go through this process, purgatory, are destined for heaven. So that answers your question, being saved by the blood of Jesus, and you're right. The holy souls in purgatory do enter heaven definitively, but not immediately, even though it is possible to enter heaven immediately. That's why I love your question so much. Your question is one of the main reasons why I wrote my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, is because uh, I got tired of meeting Catholics who believed that purgatory was, was automatic. There was no way to avoid it. Well, that's a heresy. The Church teaches that it is indeed possible to go to heaven immediately when you die, provided that at the time of your earthly death, you have atoned for your temporal punishment due to already forgiven mortal and venial sins. But if at the time of your earthly death, you have not yet atoned for the temporal punishment due to your already forgiven mortal and venial sins, you have to atone for that. Why is there atonement for, for sin even after we've confessed the sin? Because sin is messy. There's personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences to sin. And doesn't that make sense, Blanca? Because the human person is the only creature made in God's image and likeness. The human person is at the apex of creation. We're, we're at the top of the mountain of creation. All other forms of creation are, are below the human person. We don't say that cats and dogs are made in the image and likeness of God, or that vegetative plants are, or that the brute animals like horses and cattle and again, like dogs and cats are, even the wide variety of flowers, these different forms of creation tell us something about God, but they're not made in God's image and likeness. Only the human person is. So the human person is at the apex of creation, right? So it makes sense that when we sin, somehow, some way, somehow, some way, things are going to be adversely affected, meaning negatively affected by our sin. So these are the four categorical consequences to personal sin. Uh, and sin is always a personal act. There's personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences to sin. This is discussed in number 1469 of the Universal Catechism, 1469. So when a person sins, they work against themselves personally. For example, they constrict their growth in virtue. They don't grow in virtue as quickly as they would otherwise because of their sin. They work against themselves socially. They might find their relationship with others becoming negatively affected, like the man who adulterates behind his wife's back. Even though the wife doesn't know about the adultery that her husband's partaking in with a, a third-party woman, um, there's instant friction between the husband and the wife. Why is that? That's the social aspect of personal sin. Number three, uh, there's ecclesial cosmic, ecle excuse me, ecclesial consequences to personal sin. You want proof of that? Look at the, the whole priestly scandals in the church and how they've rocked the church negatively uh, because of those scandals committed by her priests. But there's also, there's also lay sins as well of the laity. So, so the, the, the church is adversely affected as a body. So that's why we say there's ecclesial consequences to sin. And number four, there's cosmic consequences to personal sin. 
in two ways. Number one, the very cosmos themselves are adversely affected. You want proof of that? Look at the book of Genesis. As soon as our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve, look how the beautiful Garden of Eden closed in on itself, huh? It closed in on itself. And because you have done this, O woman, from henceforth you shall give birth with the pangs of labor. And because you have done this, O man, from henceforth you shall toil by the sweat of your brow, they're told in the book of Genesis. So, Personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences due to sin whenever we commit it. But when we ask for forgiveness of the sin, the sin is forgiven. The guilt of the sin is forgiven. But that temporal punishment remains and needs to be atoned for. And nothing impure can enter heaven. Only immaculate purity and holiness can enter heaven. So if one dies on earth having already atoned for the temporal punishment due to their sin, having already atoned for it, they can go straight to heaven when they die, Blanca, and in that case, there is no purgatory for them to go to. But if somebody dies and they have not yet atoned for their mortal and venial sins that have already been confessed, and remember, they need to atone for those sins that have already been confessed because there's personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences to those sins— If at the time of their earthly death they have not yet atoned for the temporal punishment for those already forgiven sins, it's done in this process of purgation that we call purgatory, according to Holy Mother Church's teaching in the Universal Catechism. By the way, Blanca, you know where purgatory is, is discussed in the Universal Catechism? Right after the section on sin, the reality of sin. Okay, the reality of sin, whether it's mortal or venial sin. So it makes sense that the Church puts the doctrine of purgatory in the Universal Catechism, which I'm holding up right now to the screen, so if you don't have a copy of the Catechism, you want to get a copy of it, okay? Uh, The Universal Catechism puts the, the discussion on purgatory right after the discussion on the reality of sin, both mortal and venial. And so you want to see the link here. But I'm so glad you asked this question, Blanca, because... I want to stress to people that I preach to that it is possible to go straight to heaven when we die by atoning for the temporal punishment now on earth while still living, right? So, for example, embracing one's suffering, uh, any type of suffering you might have, offering your illness in union with Christ's cross— uh, the, the carrying out any of the 14 works of mercy, seven for the body, the corporal works of mercy, seven for the soul, the spiritual works of mercy, or the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. By the way, we do these things not because of the works themselves, no, but because of the charity that the works help foster and prosper to our neighbor, because the human person is social by nature. It is not good that man be alone. So God made him a complimentary helpmate, the book of Genesis tells us. When Jesus gives us the Our Father, when the, when the disciples and apostles ask, ask him, Master, teach us how to pray, he gives us the Our Father in the third person uh, singular. Give us this day, or excuse me, the first person plural, the first person plural. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. See? Social. We're social by nature. That's the New Testament argument that we're social by nature. Jesus gives us the Our Father in the first person plural. And then the Old Testament proof that we're social by nature, the book of Genesis, upon the creation of the human person. It is not good that man be alone. You know, even St. Anthony of the Desert, before he would let his monks go out and live in hermitages on their own for a life of solitude and prayer, they had to first prove that they could live in community, 
in the monastery. And only after they could prove that they could live in community in the monastery, then and only then did St. Anthony of the Desert let his men go live out in hermitages. And by the way, when he let them go live out in hermitages, it wasn't permanently. Periodically, he would tell them they have to come back to rekindle their love of community life. Then they would go back out to the hermitage a second time, a third time, etc. But periodically, they had to live in community. So it's because of this communal reality of the human person, we see that there's personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic consequences to personal sin whenever it's committed, whether it's mortal or venial. And because of those consequences, a temporal punishment remains on our soul even after the sin is confessed. So confession relieves you of the guilt of the sin. Confession, the sacrament of confession, does not relieve you of the temporal punishment. Last point, there's two places that temporal punishment can be carried out, on earth or in purgatory. Now, I don't know about you, Blanca, but I want to carry out my temporal punishment on earth while still living. Again, by embracing any suffering I might have, for example, illness or any other type of suffering, um, and carrying out the 14 works of mercy, the three eminent good works that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I want to carry out my temporal punishment by doing these good things, that, that not because of the works themselves, no, but because of the charity they help prosper to neighbor because we're social by nature. So there's two places that temporal punishment can be fulfilled, in purgatory or on earth. And if you fulfill it on earth, Blanca, it is possible to go straight to heaven when you die. And then eternal punishment, there's only one place to carry out eternal punishment, and that's in hell. And God sends no one to hell. To go to hell, one goes there by their own doing. How? By purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin. Purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin is what sends one to hell by their own doing. Again, the section on sin in the Universal Catechism spells all this out very, very clearly. And it's part of the patrimony of the Church from the writing of the Church Fathers of the first centuries, solidified by sacred scripture, and upheld by the magisterium, the teaching office of the church. So Blanca, help me get the message out, Blanca, that it is possible to go straight to heaven when you die. In fact, I like to call that God's plan A for us. His plan A for us is to atone for any and all temporal punishment now while still living, thereby attaining the greatest of graces of entering heaven immediately upon our death. Uh, God's plan B for us, or, or plan number two, if you will, God's plan B for us, if you want to call it that, would be to go to purgatory. Why? Because at least the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven, right? That said, who wants to go there? God's plan A for us, Blanca, is to go straight to heaven when we die. And and you bring up a good point by how you ask your question. But Blanca, my last point, you said you don't believe in purgatory. Believe in it, because it's real. And not believing in it and telling other people it's not real is reason enough for you to go there. (laughs) And I don't want you to go there, Blanca. (laughs) I want you to go straight to heaven when you die. So read the Catechism, see the wonderful amount of Scripture quotes, like from 2 Maccabees and the New Testament, that talks about purification by fire, etc. It's a holy and pious practice to pray for the holy souls. All these quotes from the Old Testament and New Testament, the writings of the Church Fathers, the quotes from the Church Fathers, that bolster, that build up this section on the reality of purgatory in the Universal Catechism. And then, be a daughter of the Church, cum ecclesia, with the Church. Right now, Blanca, by not believing in purgatory, you're putting yourself supra-ecclesia, 
you're putting yourself above the church. And that's very prideful. That's very prideful. And, you, and we know who the father of pride is. You don't, want, you don't want to be a follower of the father of pride, the evil one, Satan, the devil. No, you want to be cum ecclesia, not supra ecclesia. Don't put yourself above the church. Put yourself with the church. Blanca, I'm so glad you called, and uh, you, you asked a great question that provided great, great catechesis. Thank you so much. Quickly, we'll head to Tracy, a first-time caller in Fisherville, Kentucky, listening on the EWTN app. Tracy, just a couple minutes left with Father Wade. What's your question today? Hello, Father Wade. Thanks for taking my call. You're most my welcome, question. Tracy. My question is, I think you may have alluded to it earlier, um, I know that the Easter, I'm going to call them the Easter solemnities, the Easter um, days yeah. that fall during Easter, rotate as as the calendar rotates. But most of the other um, holy days or holy days of obligation usually fall on a particular date. Okay. You're right. What you're about asked. this? Go ahead. Well, yeah, I know what you're going to ask about the, about the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. They are celebrated on the second Friday and second Saturday, respectively, after the second Sunday after Pentecost. So the Sunday after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday. The Sunday after Trinity Sunday is Corpus Christi. And that Friday and Saturday that come after Corpus Christi are the solemnities of the, the, solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Memorial of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, respectively. So they are movable feasts because they're based on uh, the movability of Easter, which is based on the lunar calendar, okay? Trinity Sunday is thus a movable feast. Corpus Christi is thus a movable feast because they come in order, respectively, Trinity Sunday and Corpus Christi Sunday, after Pentecost. Pentecost closes the 50-day Easter season, so all of those three solemnities, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, and uh, Corpus Christi Sunday are all movable feasts, and because Sacred Heart of Jesus and Immaculate Heart of Mary come the Friday and Saturday after Corpus Christi, because we're honoring the sacred humanity of the God-man Jesus Christ through his Sacred Heart, and the woman who bore him, the Theotokos in the Greek, the God-bearer, they are also movable feasts. Tracy, does that help you out? was great. I really appreciate your help today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the call. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless. God bless.